Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another ooh, another edition of the Security Squawk Podcast. I am your co-host, Brian Horning, with Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. Welcome to another week, gentlemen. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. What's How are you on? doing, Andre? <laughs> Almost Christmas, man. Almost. So we got... Uh, Lots to talk about in a short period of time. we got to wrap up in about 25 minutes due to our schedules. So we're just going to run right into it. And today we're going to talk about a bunch of things. Number one, the title of the show is Critical Infrastructure Under Attack. And we're going to talk about how some utility companies, water utility companies in the United States have been attacked. Uh, We're also going to talk about some banks that have been attacked. Uh, We're going to update you on some uh, cyber attacks that we talked about last week, one of those being Fidelity National and what they are up to and where they're at with their cyber attack. Um, Plus, our government's been attacked, and we're going to talk about how they were attacked and what you might want to look out so you don't become a victim like they did. Before we jump into all that stuff, remember to share our show. Helps us grow our channel with finding people like you who are interested in topics like this and learning how to secure their business and themselves from cyber criminals. Sharing, liking, putting a comment or, you know, a review on a podcasting platform if you're listening to us through audio. But if you're watching us on any of the social media channels, you can always drop a comment. You can drop a comment while we're live. We might answer it. Um, But we're always looking for comments throughout the week as we uh, have people monitoring the the, the, uh, channels for that kind of stuff. So if you drop a comment at any time, we're more than likely either going to answer it there or on the show. So uh, anything else you guys want to add before we jump into it? No, sir. Good. Oh, yeah, we don't do commercials. So that's even more of a reason to share the show, right? So... All right, so let's get into it. So uh, first one we're going to talk about is this crazy craziness with uh, the water companies getting hacked. Uh, and there's been a bunch of them across the United States. Um, and CISA has put out, what do we have? CISA is reaching out directly to these uh, water utilities about exposed Unitronics devices. And I don't know a whole lot about this, but what I do know is, is apparently there's a vulner, there's a known vulnerability in these devices that I guess Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps decided to attack in the last week or so, and they're citing the war in Israel as the reason why they feel like they can do this to these water companies. Uh, These water companies, at least one of them in Pennsylvania, needed to go offline and and manage their water pressure manually as a result of this. This is pretty wild stuff, guys. Um, What are your thoughts on Iran attacking our water system? And they'll also point out, we know we're going to talk about two on the show today, uh, but it's been reported that there's been about a dozen or so to this point who may have been impacted. They're just not releasing where. 
I think it's kind of ironic before we get into it that it is Iran because um, a lot of people have heard of the Stuxnet, um, which was a malware back in the day, um, which actually targeted Iran's nuclear reactors and didn't need internet to get there. It just traveled among random devices around the world to ultimately hack their uh, nuclear facilities. So it is kind of ironic that they're reaching out and doing this. Similarly, against um, basically, this is a device that's used to regulate water pressure. So tons of water supply utilities, whatever they're called in your state, use these things to make sure that the water pressure is uh, is correct. So uh, this potentially is a pretty huge deal. Yeah, and apparently these uh, devices are being shipped out with the default passwords, which kind of reminds me back when I used to work at CompUSA and all the routers had the same, you know, admin and passwords. Yes. You yes. know, now if you at least buy a router, it's gonna every it's gonna be unique. There's gonna be a unique password for every device. So it's it's crazy that this company is still doing it this old-fashioned way. Yeah, and the other thing, um, CISA and the FBI have gotten involved, um, and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to to help these water companies address these issues. Yep. Um, because the bigger problem is is that. The, the the bigger issue and the bigger challenge behind this is apparently these devices were 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 sold under different brands. Um, so you're talking, I guess you're talking about a controller or one component. So that would be like, you know, all the dishwasher manufacturers in the world buying a particular board for their mm -hmm. washing machines. From, they already do, by the way. Right. Right. So that, you know, that's to illustrate a point, that's basically what you have here. They may have bought a different brand, you know, system to manage their thing, but all the systems that are sold to these water companies use this particular part from this manufacturer. So they're trying to get ahead of this by identifying all of the manufacturers, all the systems that contain this part, and it can be done under different names. So when you hear the name, I don't, I don't remember the name uh, off the top of my head. Do you guys have it of the, of the what it's called? Unitronics. What's that? The PLC. Yeah, um, Unitronics. Unitronics, that's it. You're, you got it. Thank you. Okay. Unitronics. So it might you might not know that you have a Unitronics PLC in your system because you bought, you know, system ABC company and, you know, that's what you know. That's the brand you know, right? But you don't realize that it has this component in it and this is what they're trying to get ahead of before other water companies get hit. Um, so it's, pre it's, it's a pretty big deal, right? It's not mm -hmm. like... It's not like, hey, if you use a Ubiquiti Unify controller, you need to update your controller, right? This goes a little deeper into the components that you might not recognize the name or the brand or realize that you, you now have a problem. But the crazy thing is if they're attached to the internet, which a lot of them are, um, that you can actually go into Shodan and search. And that's how that's how CISA is finding these uh, these utilities and reaching out to them by looking for them on Shodan. And they're seeing, they're showing that they're, you know, whatever vulnerability is opened up towards the internet. And then they're able to reach out to them uh, from, uh, from there. You know, the other crazy thing, I can't speak for all the other States, but in Texas, a lot of these utility districts are basically privately owned. 
So they're regulated by the state as a corporate, um, almost like a public corporation, um, but they're still privately owned. A lot of them are just mom and pops that own them in Texas. Um, I don't know how that is in other states, but that to me makes it a little more vulnerable because how in the world are they going to hear about this? You know what I mean? Um, you know, they're just checking their water meters every month or whatever. You know, they don't know all this stuff about cybersecurity and all this jazz we talk about. You know what I mean? So I think that makes them a little extra vulnerable. Yeah. And, and to just show you how how simple what CISA is basically saying, this is what you need to do. If you have one of these systems, change the default password. So, again, just going back to like if you got this product in the first place, you're an IT administrator. That should have been the first thing you do anyways. Uh -huh. Second, um, change the default port used by the PLC, which that's questionable because, okay, it's yeah. a different port number, but whatever. We can find it. Yep. And then the next one is um, put it behind a firewall or VPN or do uh -huh. some type of multi-factor. And then uh -huh. the last one is do your updates. So, uh -huh. like, there's nothing super complicated that should have happened in the first place for these two cities we're going to be talking about to um, have done. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the sad, the sad thing or the sad reality. <clears throat> I would say 95% of the attacks we talk about, um, they're not really super complicated. They're ingenious, but they're, they're just looking for these vulnerabilities and they're, you know, they're putting them together, putting two and two together and equaling four and pulling off an attack to, to steal money basically. Yeah. So this brings up a couple of good uh, points that I, that I want to bring up with you guys around this stuff. Um, number one the, is, is that here we are with another critical infrastructure uh, attack where the Biden administration has, you know, put forth efforts since they've been in office to improve cybersecurity in the U.S., especially critical infrastructure. Um, and a lot of critical infrastructure in this country is privately owned. Um, and then, you know, this to me is just another example of another industry or another sector that's going to be impacted by more regulation, more laws, and, and they're going to be required to do more in the next 12 to 18 months to make sure things like this don't happen. Do you guys see it any different? Mm -mm. They're going to try. I can't wait. And then another, another thing that we're uh, kind of seeing here is, is, you know, if we're reading the tea leaves of what's going on with this, number one, this, you know, they're calling it hacktivism, right? Because it's, you know, uh, done under the, under the fact that, you know, it's an Israeli company. Um, and, you know, they basically are saying that the people who did this are basically saying that because this is an Israeli made um, piece of equipment, that it's fair game. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, but then if we ever, if this ever got to a point, guys, where you would need to recover systems and you wanted to, you know, use your insurance to do so, you know, a lot of the cybersecurity, and this is 
you know, I just want to point this out and bring this up quickly. A lot of cybersecurity, cyber insurance policies out there exclude coverage from things like active war. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the insurance companies try to get this, if, if it ever amounted to that, which I don't think it will. But this is an example of how a company can get hacked. And, you know, they may think that they have cyber insurance to back them up. And something like this could potentially put that in jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say that's a great point. Yeah, it is. I would also um, I think some of this hacktivism is it's just a smokescreen. Ultimately, they're doing it to make money because every single ransomware note I've ever read on a computer always says we're doing this as a service to let you know that your IT company is not doing their job or you weren't being secure, and we pointed it out for you. So they've always had this kind of aura, this fake aura that, hey, they're doing something good in the world by doing all this stuff. So I think this whole hacktivism thing, I don't know, like, you know, Iran doesn't like Israel regardless, you know, whether there's Hamas involved or not, you know, I, I Israel will go and blow up a building in the, in the out in the desert that was probably a reactor or whatever. Like, I think there's a lot of hatred there anyway. I think this is just a ruse, my opinion. So, Is there, is there a ransom attached to what they're doing? I thought they were just... Um, I guess we'll see in these next... They've already... Um, it sounds like they released uh, information, but we'll have to look into these attacks to see. Yeah, I don't know if it's a ransom situation or they're just bricking the systems. Right. You know, I have no idea. So I guess we'll find out more when we know more. Um, but this also brings up a good point where a lot of people are starting to kind of turn, turn this on the Israeli company who created this software and, and kind of blaming, pointing the fingers at them saying that they are putting out unsecure software and devices and that there needs to be a greater responsibility for cybersecurity for manufacturers of of information technology software and hardware which is also part of kind of the the biden cybersecurity plan is to you know require people who produce these kind of things to do it to a certain standard and not put stuff out there that's chock full of bugs that can be you know hacked and eventually used to take down systems and cripple industries and businesses. That's really what we're, you know, the ultimate goal of that is. Um, what are your guys' thoughts there on, on the actual manufacturers being, you know, part of the blame of this? Um, I mean, I, 100%. I mean, we, we talked about this in other uh, videos as well, talking about IoT devices and you know your your smart cameras, your printers, your thermostats, all of this stuff connecting to the internet. There has to be a standard of security that just the consumer just can't assume that they have to. <laughs> they can't just assume they have to change their password. I mean, just something right. as simple as look, your password by default. Even if they said your password by default is one 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 one, but as soon as you log in, we're forcing you to change it. But you got to have some type of security. Yeah, and the. Um... Just, I want to say this week, for sure, in the last 10 days, the um, assistant executive director, not the not the assistant to the executive director, 
Um, sorry, a little office joke there. Nobody got it. Okay, we'll not be here all week. Anyway, um, the uh, assistant executive director, I think is what it was, of CISA actually said this week, he wants to move away from the onus being on users to do patching and things like that. He specifically mentioned patching and said he wants to move it to where the onus is now on the manufacturers. And, you know, that does make sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense because like in this case, if they would have just shipped the password, printed on a label on the bottom, like routers do now these days, boom, problem solved, you know, have it connect to a random port in the little sign up process. You pick a port, you know, have it do it, have it random like that. All this stuff could easily be solved by the manufacturer, I guess is my point. Not even oh. a chuckle for that joke. <laughs> no, maybe the maybe the audience did, but you smirked a tiny little bit. You were typing though. Anyway. So moving right along, guys. So we also have a water uh facility plant in Texas, and not to kind of beat a dead horse here, but is there anything in particular with the Texas incident that stood out to you versus what we talked about in Pennsylvania? Just that this is a really big one. Um, 850 employees, 2 million people that are getting, getting um, service from this utility. This is not your average mom and pop um, utility like you see out in rural areas. Um, this is a, uh, a really big, um, you know, a really big utility. I mean, Texas has like 30 million plus people. So one out of 15 ish getting their water uh, from this this utility. It's a pretty big deal. I think Randy's storing some water in his bathtub right now, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Nice. So now we have uh, moving right along. We have a bigger a deal here, which is we're seeing the financial sector really start to take it on the chin in the last couple of weeks. We're going to wrap up the show with an update on Fidelity National Financial. If you have mortgage or you're trying to buy a house in the last week, you may have been impacted by this. Um, but we're going to jump into this whole 60 credit unions across the U.S. have been impacted by a cyber attack because of their IT provider, at least one of their IT providers or a popular IT provider um, has been dealing with ransomware. And from my knowledge of the situation, guys, what I know is, is that um, there was a, <clears throat> a larger company, a parent company of Trellence that owns a company called Ongoing Operations. And essentially this group, Ongoing Operations, provides um, uh, local credit unions with what they claim to be cloud-based business kind of continuity type services, which kind of ironic that these businesses that rely on these services to keep their operations running this this group that that's kind of what they do for them is now mm -hmm. down and cannot provide that service mm -hmm. so um thoughts on this guys this is a, a pretty big deal it's impacting a lot of credit unions across the u.s causing customers to be able to not access certain things like payment portals for loans, car loans, things like that. Um, what do you guys think about this? 
No, it just talks about how um, damage can always be caused by supply chain and just don't look at your internal systems that you're using, like the computers and routers and switches, but you know what other applications are you depending on every day and having a plan if those things go down. Yeah, and the, the underlying vulnerability here is this uh, Citrix bleed. And, you know, like the name says, bleed just means when you're going from one side of something like a membrane or a wall or whatever to the other. And this particular this particular vulnerability information, basically to 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 put it in layperson's kind of layperson's terms, the information basically stays in memory even after it's not being used, which basically allows the attacker to pull out without any kind of authentication just to pull memory, uh, pull information out of memory. Um, so probably this was shut down. These were shut down probably out of caution um, because it's a very real vulnerability. And if the attacker gets access to that system, can just start pulling that information down without having any kind of logins or anything um, like that. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, this Citrix bleed, not to go off on, on that, you know, because it, it is a big deal. This is kind of becoming like the, the move it of the back mm -hmm. end of 2023, mm -hmm. uh, even though move it's still being exploited like crazy. Um, mm -hmm. But this is kind of the new one, um, you know, and it looks to me like a bunch of ransomware groups are, are taking advantage of it. You know, you mm -hmm. got um, Alf V is kind of hitting healthcare sector. It seems like Lockbit's also you know, making some money off the Citrix, Citrix bleed uh, vulnerability. Um, and then, um, yeah, I don't, cause I think we're going to, I think we're going to find out Fidelity National. Um, I think in those show notes, I have who hacked them. And I think it was Black Cat. Um, so these groups are just jumping all over this vulnerability because they know what they can do once they, once they get in there. So <clears throat> what do you guys, what do you, what else do you guys see coming out of this Citric bleed or the, or the, uh, or, or the attack on the, uh, 60 credit unions? I mean, the sky's the, the limit if you ask me on this, because there are people out there who have this vulnerability in their systems that don't even know about it. I think, like you said, it's it's going to be the move it of December 2023 for sure. Um, there's there's just a lot of potential for bad growth here, um, if you will. Yeah, I mean, essentially, and, and just so everybody knows, ongoing operations they had their they had this thing called a Fed Comp platform, um, and it's used by numerous credit unions across the U.S. And it wasn't patched for the Citrix bleed which led to the ransomware attack that operate that uh, caused significant operational disruption. So that's what happened with the credit union. So it's today, the December uh, 4th, right? Yesterday was the day that um, they start having to report to the SEC within the summer. Yes, yeah. correct. So we'll definitely get more news articles. <laughs> Well, we're going to get a quicker reporting from a lot, a lot more companies, you know, starting today because they're going to be held accountable mm -hmm. if, if they don't. Um, we've already, like we said on the show, we've already seen plenty of companies start to adhere to it even before the deadline, um, at least somewhat. But, you know, 
now they're going to be their feet are going to be held to the fire. So, all right, guys, moving right along, we got to finish up because we got to end the show here. So let's go into this whole talk about the U.S. government agencies using Adobe Cold Fusion and and, and an exploit. You know, Cold Fusion is actually it's crazy. You know, but Cold Fusion is widely used in our in our government. It's, it's a, it was for whatever reason it's a popular programming language if you want to call it that platform for and, and for whatever reason because I, I, I don't know, the only reason I know this is because I used to work in the government and I used to see jobs and job postings like left and right for people with cold fusion experience hmm. Um, hmm. so um, what's going on here do you guys have any insight on I know there was a vulnerability in Cold Fusion that allowed um, hackers to gain initial access to government servers, which is pretty wild. And Cold Fusion is a is a is a web server um, platform, right? So you write you write code uh, and you run this this server op, you know this server platform to serve up web pages. Um, so it is usually exposed to the internet because a lot of government agencies that have that run their own webs or maybe they have um, content management systems. That's a big thing that used to be built back in the day. And I'm talking, I, you know, I was, I worked for the government, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, but back then they were building web portals and, and intranets um, and things like that uh, using CMS, you know, content management systems. So you could, basically have people with no knowledge of coding or programming update a website or update something that's out on the web. Um, and this is pretty popular in the U.S. government. So um, your thoughts on this, guys? Well, one of the things I'm realizing is they're talking about specific versions. Um, mm -hmm. You got 2018 and then it looks like 2013. So what is the refresh cycle for these for this type of application if it's so popular? Dude, I mean, they just write it. I mean, they're not. Yeah. I, I would have to say that there's probably a major lack of awareness around the fact that you need to update this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just because of the way the government buys, right? That if there's some small division of the deal, you know, of, of some, of some small division in the Navy that hired some company to come build them something so they could share information either internally or on the internet with people and make it so like Sally, who is a secretary, mm -hmm. you know, can, can mm -hmm. update it. Right. And they hired a contractor to build that and then they mm -hmm. built it and they've been using it ever since. And nobody's thought twice about going back and, you know, checking it and updating it and making yeah. sure it's actually secure. You're probably mm -hmm. right on that. It says that the servers that were affected were unpatched. So yeah. yeah, they did come out in the last week or so and say, we want to move away from patching to the onus being on the manufacturer, but this would have happened had they not been patched. So I think it's going to be, have to be a both and y'all um, patching is unsexy but it needs to keep happening. Um, and we need to have manufacturers be more responsible for their stuff, auto updates, doing things right, all that jazz we already talked about. But yeah, two unpatched servers in this case. Which is ironic. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I just don't get it. This is 101 stuff, man. <laughs> I mean, 
it's hard. It's hard to be preachy uh, to the rest of the business world if the government doing the preaching is not also yeah. updating their systems. You but know? it's also interesting to me that you know, reading this article, and, and I'm going to get a little kind of in the weeds here with uh -oh. the stuff that we know, right? But when when it when I read in that. There were two incidents. They attacked two different servers. They were basically able to basically do a reverse proxy shell to install remote access Trojan on these servers, which is wild. Um, but they were able, in both cases, the attacks were detected and blocked in time before they could exfiltrate data, uh, data or do any further lateral movement. Like, it's amazing to me that they you, you have detection in place to detect, like, this behavior, but you're not scanning the network for the vulnerability in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you skipped over first grade and went right to 12th grade. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like, it's great that you have detection like this, but at the same time, you need to be looking for the vulnerabilities. So because you know, I got to imagine they got, they caught this by the skin of their teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you're talking about minutes or seconds of, of, of if you didn't catch this and you gave them just a few more minutes, they would have exfiltrated data. Yep. And who knows, they may have exfiltrated data, but oh. maybe, maybe what they caught was the mass movement of data off of their network. And they were like, what the hell is going on over here? Yep. And, then, and then they cut it off. Well, and the thing is, Brian, you, you don't want to just be relying on your amazing system to to catch this because maybe they figured out a way to fly under the radar with some sort of a, a unknown zero day. So you've got to do the patching, have your amazing system, have other things in place, yeah. you know, so if they get through one of them, it's not the end of the world. It's just a... Uh, you know, it raises a red flag, but yeah, it, it is, it is ironic to have ironic to have that level of detection and then have these unpatched servers just sitting there. Yeah. With no vulnerabilities. That's, that's it, the point. So. You know, and it could be, I'm not saying this is right, but people will update servers, especially, um, specialty servers, and then they break and then they like, they get this, uh, this resistance to updating because, you know, last time we updated that thing, it broke and we were down for three days. I know that's the case with like old versions of, of exchange server and things like that. You know, I don't know, maybe these cold fusion servers have a history of that I don't know. I'm trying to find a human side to this. Well, we'll update everybody once, once we kind of find out more and, and, and if there's anything juicy to add to this, we'll, we'll certainly bring it up all right guys we got to wrap up the show but i want to kind of touch on this fidelity national real quick um fidelity national mortgage big 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 player in the mortgage and title space um had a cyber attack and they're starting to kind of release more information saying they're starting to get back on their feet a little bit but it's taking quite some time as as we kind of uh predicted it would um, it's one of the largest title insurance firms in the U.S., and uh, they successfully contained the cyber attack, 
happened on November 19th, and they emphasize that their ongoing efforts to resume normal business operations are underway. So they're trying to get back on their feet. Now, I know people who have a, a mortgage serviced by this company, and they haven't been able to make a mortgage payment since this happened. And of, like two or three days ago, that's still the case. Um, uh, they're working with outside firms to, you know, get back on their feet. They basically cut everything off. They, so they knew they were dealing with an attack and, and the, they, they kind of took the drastic measure of taking everything offline so they could figure out kind of where it was coming from, which is, you know, the right thing to do at the end of the day. Um, and they're still trying to figure out if these unauthorized third parties access company data, what systems they touched. Um, so the full extent is, is yet to be known and disclosed to the public, uh, and especially the, the SEC. Um, you know, this is a $2.8 billion uh, company in the third quarter of 2023. So, you know, this company has significant cash to play with. And at the Alpha V Black Cat Ransomware Group are the ones uh, that came forward and said they did this. And you'll know that name because this is the same group that hit MGM and Caesars just a few months ago. Um, Fidelity's uh, response to the attack included notifying regulators and law enforcement authorities as part of their compliance and responsible handling of a cyber incident. Although the, you know, the information they gave is very, very limited at the time. So, um, guys, what do you think? I guess I'm just going to hit you with this and we'll end the show. How much longer do you think before this company actually is back up on their feet 100%? I mean, because really, that's the goal and that's kind of the standard that businesses need to get to with incident response and business continuity planning is, you know, ultimately you want to be able to get through an event without anybody like really noticing or having any impact. But when there is impact and you have to do something like take all your systems offline to kind of figure out where things started and where things are going to end. Um, how long do you guys think this company is going to be dealing with this? I already predicted months and people kind of said to me, no way, no way. And I kind of said, well, either they're paying the ransom and that's how they're getting back on their feet quicker because they're working with the criminals and they know the criminals aren't going to continue to mess with them. Um, or, they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm in the camp of they don't know what they're talking about. I agree with you a jillion percent. They don't know what they're talking about. Any company is going to be dealing with this for three to six months. Even if they have the best everything in place, once something like like what has happened has happened, you're you're going to have potential lawsuits. You're going to have to find out how they got in make sure they're out because even if you paid the ransom they're still probably gave access to their to their buddies if you will like just to say that oh it's you know 3 weeks in and out i just i just can't see that like best case scenario they're still going to have something they're dealing with easy 3 to 6 months down the road that's my opinion so i agree with you they don't know what they're talking about so Andre, you're awfully quiet. No, same. I know Randy's got to go, so I was just yeah. trying to keep quiet. But um, yeah. I'm going to go to six six months and more because of the legal situation. Yep. And this will probably go into the hundreds of millions of dollars in losses. Right. So, Yikes. 
We'll keep everyone posted. Thanks, guys, for your input. Randy, I know you got to go, so we won't stay on too long. As always, leave comments, share our show, and uh, rate us on our po on the podcasting platform if you listen to us. We appreciate the support, and we'll see you all next week. All right.